Hello, and as always, welcome back to Running the Table, a podcast all about running and playing tabletop role-playing games. Once again, I am your host, Keith, and today we're going to be trying something a little different. I tend to get a lot of questions and requests discussing basic details, mechanics, or rules about various games that you can play. And so today I'm going to be covering the general concept that tends to, or rather a general concept, I should say, that tends to proliferate across various tabletop role-playing games. And that is one of statistics. Now, statistics are used in numerous ways, both for the opposition in a game, as well as for the characters or general concepts that the players are, well, role-playing as. So, in order to kind of get more of a handle on it, rather than dive into the general concept of statistics and how they represent what can be done, I'll be going over in detail both Monster of the Week, which has a very simplified statistics setup, and Dungeons and Dragons, which is, once again, kind of the baseline for a lot of people working with tabletop role-playing games. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons is very popular, and many games take after the way that it has styled its statistics. So, if you have read through the Player's Handbook, or the Dungeon Master's Guide, or even just looked around on the web, you may have a general idea of how the statistics work. But just in case you haven't, uh, I'll go into a little bit of general idea behind them. So, the statistics that are in Dungeons & Dragons are Strength, Dexterity, Constitution, Intelligence, Wisdom, and Charisma. Now, there's a lot that can be said about these, but one of the best, one of the, the best ways that I've seen it explained online is the tomato problem, so to speak. What that means is that you relate each of these statistics to Something about a tomato. For instance, strength is being able to squash a tomato. Dexterity is being able to throw a tomato at a target and hit it in the center. Constitution is being able to eat a rotten tomato with no ill effects. Intelligence is understanding that a tomato is, based on botany, a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put a tomato in a fruit salad. And Charisma is selling that tomato-based fruit salad as salsa. With that out of the way, there's a bit more nuance that can be said about the way that Dungeons & Dragons handles its statistics for characters. First of all, you may have noticed that there's a pretty clear split among the six. Three of them are physical, and three of them are mental. So, let's go over the physical ones first. And I want to also relate this into how you can use this understanding of statistics effectively in your games. So we've got strength, dexterity, and constitution. Of these three, most people have a, a general decent grasp of strength and dexterity. You know, it's, it's about your actual physical strength and then how quickly you can move. But there's more nuance than just that, which we'll get into. But first, because it is the most opaque of the three, I figure we should cover Constitution. Constitution in Dungeons & Dragons governs the general hit points, or health, of a character, 
while also preventing negative effects of things like poison or disease. In short, it can be said to be a measure of how healthy your character is. But it's more than just that. It also comes up with your stamina. So one way to look at it is that, let's say that you were to go and work out at the gym. You could effectively, in reality, work out all three of your physical statistics in one go. You could go for a run. That would increase your constitution. You could lift some weights. That would increase your strength. Or you could take something small and figure out how to best maneuver it, or even learn how to throw it accurately, and that would be your dexterity. But even that misses some of the nuance of these three statistics. Uh, in the Dungeon Master's Guide, there's a good example of what each stat may be used for. For Constitution, it could be running a marathon. It could be enduring some disease. Or it could be about enduring pain. Something that, as that many DMs have done in the past while I've been playing with them, or may even be tempted to do, is ask a player to make a wisdom save in order to withstand some pain. And while it seems at first as though, okay, you're stealing yourself and you're showing your resolve, the actual withstanding of pain is meant to be governed by constitution. So something like grasping at a hot branding iron would actually, it could be done through wisdom if you're trying to do the mind over matter version of it, but I would still give players the option to save through constitution, just powering through and accepting the pain. And one of the favorite uses of constitution that I've ever seen is being able to drink. Essentially, constitution can also serve as, because of its relation to poisoning, a way of measuring a character's alcohol tolerance. And so you could have the players, as they drink ale or what have you, either just be able to drink a certain amount based on their flat constitution scores, or have them occasionally make some constitution saves to see just how much it's affecting them today. Now, one of the ones that I've seen most accurately used is, of course, strength. People have a general good idea of what strength is. It's the physical force that can be exerted. So rather than dwell on that, I think that if you connect strength with the concept outside of Dungeons & Dragons, you'll have a pretty good grasp on what strength can be correlated to. So instead, the, la the, uh, the last uh, physical stat that I will cover is dexterity. Dexterity is frequently associated with rogues, of course, and the sneaky types out there among us. But it is more than just that. Dexterity is everything that you are doing that requires finesse and subtle manipulation. Being able to move something a minute amount is dexterity. And so one way that I've seen this used that was quite clever is in the instance of a uh, group that wanted to make sure that some noble that they were sneaking into the house of had not discovered their presence, had somebody with them that had perfect memory. Now, this is a feat that you can take in Dungeons & Dragons called a keen mind. It is a thing. It's acceptable to have. Uh, 
And so the check instead became, can you actually control your movements well enough to place it in the exact spot that it was at? Or will it be just so slightly off? That could actually be a dexterity check. Rather than, you know, memorizing where it is because the, the character knows where it's supposed to go. But can the character actually put it exactly where it was? Or will they be a fraction of a centimeter off? But dexterity is, of course, all about everything finesse. So that correlates to making no noise when you move and sneaking past people. Or deft movements like pickpocketing or manipulating some small instrument. Uh, dexterity is something that covers both lockpicking and surgery. It's everything about movement and subtle movements. So how can you get the best out of physical statistics in a D&D game? Well, physical statistics are already some of the most used, but that's fine. Using them in some creative ways and explaining them, either as the player or the dungeon master, when asking checks or saying that you want to roll a specific check instead, is a great way to kind of add some flavor to how your character does something, or how you want that player character to achieve something, or maybe even just what's going on in the situation around them. Saying that you want to wedge the door shut sounds like a strength check, but... What if you wanted to wedge the door shut in a way that wouldn't be overtly noticeable? Well, maybe that's a mental check of some kind, but maybe it's also a dexterity check. Maybe it's a mental check plus a dexterity check instead of making that strength check. Because you have to have the knowledge or the wisdom of where to hide the thing that is wedging it shut, as well as the subtle manipulation to actually position it in that spot. And this gives all players and all characters an option to achieve effectively the same thing, just through their specific flavor. And I have seen uh, I've seen great things come of rather than you know uh, stop that boulder, redirect it, or take the hit of it so that nobody nobody else gets damaged. And being able to make that Constitution check so that you reduce the damage from the impact. Let's move on though to the mental statistics. The mental statistics are intelligence, wisdom, and charisma. Now, in general, I, I actually feel like the mental statistics tend to be misunderstood or misinterpreted more often. Uh, and of the three of them, I actually would think that wisdom and charisma are even more often misconstrued beyond that. So what does the book say about intelligence, wisdom, and charisma? Well, intelligence is meant to govern memory and reason. It's supposed to be your logic and your fact reservoir. That's about it. You, you know of these things. Wisdom is meant to be your perceptiveness and willpower. It's, it's your awareness of the situation around you. This is why wisdom tends to govern skills like insight and perception. And then charisma... Charisma I, I most often see misconstrued as general attractiveness. Charisma is actually meant to be your force of will, that, that presence that you have, and your social influence and confidence. 
the the pressure that you can exert upon others, whether consciously or not. Charisma is being able to to say to people, you know, maybe maybe my way of looking at things is worth considering. And so intelligence is is often used well. We're we're pretty pretty aware of this. It's the strength of the mental stats. It's remembering that oh yes, that little piece of forgotten lore that I saw in a book once is relevant here. It is recognizing that hey, that hole in the wall looks suspicious like there might be a button hidden inside. It is recognizing that, well, you know, that looks like a pattern, and so maybe there's a message there. It's the the general logic. It's figuring out puzzles a little bit, uh, and it is remembering what's going on. Wisdom is something that I've, I've seen misconstrued a lot. Uh, in particular, the one that I don't see used for wisdom, I see it used a lot for willpower and related stuff, but wisdom is also about perception. So the willpower aspect of it comes into play in things like uh, mind over matter kind of situations, being able to recognize or force yourself to not believe in that illusion that you saw, or not be convinced by the voice going through your head. It is recognizing a charm and being aware that it might be influencing you. Wisdom is more than that, though. Wisdom is also about perception. Wisdom's about your awareness of surroundings. And so one thing that I see very often is debate over whether looking for traps or anything of the sort should be perception or investigation. So let's take a look at that. Let's say your characters are walking into a room. Now, offhand, just being able to be aware of something like, oh, hey, that was a glint in the light. That is perception. But being able to recognize, is that glint in the light a trap, a spider web, a reflection in the pool of water that's right there, or something else entirely, is intelligence. And as such, spotting, hey, there's a trap here, is perception, and possibly even insight depending on what's going on. But recognizing what the trap is and where it might be is investigation. And so actually, what many people have turned into a single check one way or the other is meant to be both. You're meant to make that check of, hey, roll me a perception check real quick, or hey, what's your passive perception? Which, that's a whole other thing. Passive perception and passive investigation. We will discuss that concept another time. But either way, a perception check is made. Rather than tell them, you spot a trap. After a, pa after a passive or active perception check, the best way to go about it is, maybe something feels off about this passageway. Or you spot some glints in, in small holes on the wall. Hmm, that's interesting. What size are these holes? Well, roll me an investigation check. These holes are squares turned on their side, and they're about an inch and a half wide. In fact, as you glance at them from over here, you can just kind of tell these look very much like they'd be just large enough for crossbow bolts. That is how you identify a trap. 
you have to have the the buildup of, hey, there's something here, and then the investigation check to understand what it is. And more often than not, yes, traps are, are just kind of a guarantee. But beyond that, it's possible that maybe, maybe that glint on the wall was treasure or a secret door or maybe just an ooze that was going to attack them or maybe even just a hint that there's water ahead because the wall is damp. Who knows? Make it colorful in your own way. And that leaves us with charisma. Charisma is very often taken to mean attractiveness, but it is not generally attractiveness. It's about confidence and social influence. It's about how you present yourself and the air that you can force into your presence. That, that idea of when you walk into a room, people take notice. That is charisma. And that's also where a lot of uh, magic comes from in Dungeons and Dragons. It's this idea of you're imparting your will onto the fabric of reality. And in order to do that, you have to essentially have a very strong presence to impart onto reality. And so the, uh, let's see, the three major spellcasting classes that use charisma right now are Paladin, Sorcerer, and Warlock, I believe. Uh, and I'm, I might be wrong on this. I'm kind of trying to remember off the top of my head, but those three are good examples nonetheless. A paladin is charismatic in that oftentimes they're imposing. They walk into a room and people are like, oh, ooh, wow, what is going on? And it's like somebody walking into a room in full uniform as a police officer or as military. And they definitely stand out and they definitely command attention. That's how a paladin works with charisma. More often than not, they're imposing and they are striking. Their attention attention is called to them. A sorcerer is more like the life of a party, more often than not. They can be just as imposing, or they could just be, wow, something's like really chaotic around them and there's something going on there and I don't know if I want to be a part of it or not. That's very often the way that a sorcerer's charisma may come out. And then a warlock's charisma, because charisma is not necessarily a positive impression. It is just the amount of influence and confidence that can be portrayed. And so many times in, depending on the warlock, of course, but many times a warlock's charisma may come out as a general sense of eeriness or uneasiness of I don't want to mess with them because they look maybe like they're crazy or they look like they have powerful friends or maybe they just look off and something strikes you as I kind of want to avoid them or I kind of want to get them on my side because I'd rather have them on my side than hunting me down. All in all, this is this general sense of imposing or being the center of attention is also how they affect reality around them through their magic. That's charisma. They don't just look so pretty. Oh, bards, that's how I forgot. Bards. Bards also use charisma. A bard uses their charisma in probably the most original sense of the word of just 
they are a center of attention. They they perform. They they have the class clown or they're the diplomat, and everybody has to look at them. And generally, everybody wants to listen to what they have to say. And in the same sense, this is also how the bard commands magic. Reality kind of bends its will around them. And that's the general gist of statistics in Dungeons and & Dragons. And there's a lot that you can do in making these work for your campaign. So you could uh, make checks more personalized, or you could even make it more fun for various characters to make their own attempt. You know, maybe, maybe rather than using acrobatics to clamber up the statue and climb into the little hole like the rogue dig, the warrior could opt to push a bunch of other crates over and clamber up noisily and still make it the same way. In short, I would say learn the statistics that you're working with in Dungeons & Dragons and make them work for you or for your players rather than using them as gatekeepers between your characters. But before I end the episode, I said that I would talk a bit about Monster of the Week. Monster of the Week is a good example of how other statistics can be used and how they can be a little bit more simplified. And so Monster of the Week uses five statistics. They're a bit more simple compared to how they're used in Dungeons and & Dragons and kind of a bit more generic in their terminology. You have charm, cool, sharp, tough, and weird. Weird is the one that's probably pretty novel for people here, but charm should be something that you can kind of get as part of charisma, okay? You're you're charming the room. You've got some sway or social influence. It's one of the subsets of what makes up charisma. And cool, cool is often used to carry both a sense of the willpower aspect of wisdom, as well as other confidence aspects of charisma. It's being level-headed and being collected. Sharp is meant to portray both the uh, intelligence aspect, such as what you remember, what you know, as well as actually the perception and awareness features from wisdom. And then tough is a combination, honestly, of most of the physical stats. In fact, many times when playing Monster of the Week, which if you have never tried it out, I highly recommend. It's a very fun roleplay-heavy game. Uh, many times, whenever you're doing something physical in Monster of the Week, it's going to be tough that you're using. You use tough to roll kick some ass, is what it's called. And that includes everything from, you know, hitting somebody in the face to running after them and shooting at them with a gun. And so, weird. Weird is the one that is an outlier here in that it doesn't seem to correlate very well to any of the Dungeons & Dragons stats. Instead, weird is all about the supernatural. And this is an instance where a statistic has been developed based on the game itself, rather than physical or personal attributes. In Monster of the Week, supernatural phenomena exist, but... The world is based off of the world as we currently know it most often. And so, it's not very common that you've run into people with magic. 
So being able to use a certain statistic that's all about just supernaturalness, being able to say, this is how you do telekinesis, this is also how you do magic, this is also how you have vampires use their supernatural charm. It's all weird. It's something that doesn't fall under the four normal human statistics. And that's a great example. Uh, if you want another example off the top of my head is from Call of Cthulhu type games where sanity becomes a statistic. But just right there, you can see how while the statistics are the same in some aspects or carry a similar feel, there's not really a one-to-one -one correlation. Instead, it's very important that when you're picking up a new game, whether it's a tried-and-true classic like Dungeons & Dragons or a new hit that you may not have tried out like Monster of the Week, it's incredibly important to get a feel for what the statistics being used are like. That lets you color how your monsters react. It lets you color the oppositions that, uh, or the problems that your players may face. And it lets you inform your players of other options that they might have to overcome an obstacle. It lets your players also say, you know, I want to try this a different way. And so I definitely recommend reading up a bit more on statistics in general and how they're used. Now, one thing that I would ask of you is if you have enjoyed this episode in particular, please reach out to me uh, on email or Twitter. Let me know if you want to hear more about general rules and how to incorporate them and a little bit more about how to understand them. I would be happy to go into more detail on just about any rule for just about any game. Uh, Dungeons & Dragons, of course, being the one that I am most familiar with. That said, I would like to say thank you for listening to this episode of Running the Table. And if you have any questions, suggestions, or comments that you would like addressed on air or direct to you, please send them to rttpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can reach out to me on Twitter, where I am at Running the Table. And as always, I hope you all enjoyed this episode and have fun running your own tables.